What's up and welcome to Wait Hold Up Podcast with Jessica Molina and Yarel Ramos. Each week, tune in as we have unfiltered conversations about careers, relationships, wellness, feminism, and of course, we'll often be joined by guests you either know or should know who will share their humor, knowledge, and their very own Wait Hold Up moments with us. Here at Wait Hold Up, we want you to feel like you found your crew, your girls who you can do life with. Listen, it's a crazy world out there, and we can all use some help in our efforts to live our best lives. We don't have all the answers, but we're down to figure it out together. Thanks for listening. Here's our latest episode of Wait, Hold Up. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Wait Hold Up. I'm Jessica. And I'm Yarel. And we are so happy to have you here today with us and joining us on this, uh, once again, amazing conversation and amazing chat on the podcast. Yes, Yarel and I both have like a little giggle to us because (laughs) I am currently recording this under um, a hoodie because my house is, my apartment's so echoey that I'm trying anything I can to figure out how to not have this echo. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you sound crazy. great no you sound great you look great but it's it's perfect for for october it's perfect for the month uh it looks spooky and dark Ooh, so good point. i mean i think it, it just goes with everything that we're living as well right now and um yeah In our terrifying really reality terrifying reality of everything that's been happening and it just keeps on adding on the year keeps getting better um with everything going on in the country and as we gear up for elections at the end of the year so just a very interesting time I mean with everything going on how are you doing how are you staying grounded um oh that's a really great question I have not been doing all the things that I know help keep me mm. grounded um and I need to really you know it's it sort of stinks how like that constantly always ends up falling on the back burner and then it's Absolutely. like every end of year it's like oh I'm gonna rededicate my time to this and myself you know um to doing what like what fills my soul but it's true I am gonna do that and I think I have definitely been struggling mostly because I'm so nervous about this election and I cast my 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 vote I did by mail and I was honestly like not planning to do by mail because I was a little like I don't know, this whole thing is just getting shadier and shadier. And thankfully, I've got a pretty strong immune system. Like, should I like be there on the front lines and like have my vote cast day of? But the more that I, I like researched, and I was like, I trust that my vote will be counted. And I trust in the system. Um, and I recently checked and my vote was counted. So, you know, I'm Yay. happy. You guys, yes, if you, if you voted um, by mail, you can go and check that out. So just Google, you know, how to like vote by, um, how to check your ballot and you can confirm. But now like I have a peace of mind about that. Right, right. That's you? so crazy. I've, I've actually just this past weekend, like just reviewed everything. I was, I wanted to make sure that I was being very mindful of like the propositions, you know, there's always so much chat. And I feel like just, especially here in California, the, the or I mean, I mean, and this might be the case in all these, uh, every other state, but like the language in the propositions is, very sometimes confusing so <laughs> it, it might say that it's like it's, if, even if, you, if you're okay with something it might mean 
the opposite, you know, just in terms of like the language used. So I was, I wanted to make sure that I was just very mindful because I also had a lot of family members that were counting, that I've been counting on my recommendations, right? On me telling them like, hey, so what do you think about this? Or how are you voting for this one? Or what does this one mean? And, you know, just having conversations and chats with family members, with cousins, with my brothers about it. I just wanted to make sure that I, I was well-versed in everything. And that takes time. I, you know, we talk about, I think I've, we've talked about it before, Jess, but we talk about this idea of, this, of civic engagement, right? And being civically active when it comes to voting. For me and my family, it's a fairly new thing. It's not something that, you know, we've been doing for years and I grew up doing. No, my parents voted for the first time, I want to say like three elections ago. So it's also making sure that we teach them, you know, and we teach our our, our, our younger primas, our younger siblings to, to do what they need to do in terms of voting because it is a process. So it's been just a very interesting time for me to be able to come to terms with that as like, oh, I have to be a leader and showing them, you know, how to, how to vote by mail because that was also something that we, have, we hadn't been doing, we have not done before. Um, and also even like you, you say, being a little skeptical of everything going on. And is it as it is, there's so much um, noise around this election, right? Like, is it going to make a difference when I, if I vote, vote by mail? Where can I vote in person? So I feel like just like the anxiety, I've had so much anxiety lately from everything going on with the pandemic and just kind of gearing up as well to be talking about elections for the next few weeks in like my day job. You know what I mean? So yeah, it's been, yeah. It's been interesting. <laughs> That's a lot. I mean, and it's so much pressure um because you're you're not just getting it right for yourself you're getting it right for the other people who because like to your point the language is so confusing confusing yeah and then you're, i'm getting these texts from people that are like vote yes on this or vote no on that and if you vote yes on that like you're basically like ruining the lower like like lower middle class and i'm just like ah like it, you know it's, right 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 but then it's like also like you realize like wait no that's actually not true they're tricking you and they're um, manipulating you so it really does I agree like it takes so much and and my partner and I the same like we just like set aside like a couple of hours because I was like this isn't just like a quick like you know check 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 right. check, check. Right. we knew too right off the bat we knew that we were voting for um, Biden obviously and because we're in LA we knew that we were voting for Gascon like that, that was like two. off the bat Yes, exactly. So um, I was like, clearly, I know that, you know, and then other than that, I was like, I don't know what the heck these propositions are. I'm like, Let me go in and like find out. So I think, you know, it's also as a resource um, for everyone else out there who's also in a similar boat, I definitely turn to like trusted resources for myself. So like I looked mm -hmm. up like what the ACLU was suggesting. Yep. I did look at some of the endorsements from the LA Times, although I didn't like do everything that they said. Yeah, I agree. Um, I agree. I, and I'm trying to think there was one other one, but like, you know, my politics are definitely more progressive. And if you're, if you find that yours don't, like you can find whatever it is, but like, I would definitely say utilize the, the, the platforms and the organizations that you trust mm -hmm. and they mm -hmm. can help guide you and really make the language super clear. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's such, that's, that's such a good point just because, yeah, my boyfriend and I this weekend, we were reviewing stuff and it was looking at different websites and different recommendations, the LA Times, New York Times, like what are other peers that are, are other, you know, politicians um, or friends too, and, you know, then they were putting out what, how they voted. 
um, and comparing them to, and also like reading, because it wouldn't, even if the LA Times says, yeah, vote no on this one, because it, 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 because this is their reasoning, and you see somewhere else, and then you really understand the language in, in that proposition, then you understand, like, wait a minute, this isn't, I'm voting against this, that what I initially exactly. thought, right? So, mm-hmm. I mean, it takes a little bit of homework, it's, you know, sitting, I think that's so important, like sitting down and reviewing stuff, and, you know, going on these websites, where they were, are able to, they have done all of this extensive research. Uh, they have compared things. They know the numbers when we're talking about like school funding and we're talking about taxes, because those are also like really tricky subjects, you know, and when we're talking about funds and bonds and taxes, like that's for, for me, it's like, wait, what? Like, right. what does this mean? What does it mean for me? What is it, how is it going to affect me and like my friend, my family? Like, how is it? you know, directly going to affect me. So, and, and the people that I love and the things that I care about. So yeah, for sure. That's something really important. We should give out, you know, look into these organizations, these websites and make sure you do your homework and you help those around you as well. You help your family members. you you call up your tia. If she needs help with her, you know, ballot. Um, you call, you text your little cousins and you let them know like, Hey, this, this is, if they have questions with, with some propositions or, you know, people that are running for office as well. Like those are things too that I think um, we can do to make sure to be civically engaged um, and to do our our part in in democracy. Absolutely, a thousand percent, you know. And um, I think it's kind of crazy because the next time we talk with y'all, the election's gonna be over. I mean, we don't know if we're gonna know who's the president. We don't know if like that'll happen, but like the election will have happened and... So that's why we need to like harp on this as much as possible because it's so, so important. We are literally voting like our lives depend on it. And I can't, can't, can't fathom what's about to happen. Um, yeah. And I am praying that um, we get Trump out of the White House. Full disclosure, if you haven't noticed that this is a, a podcast <laughs> that does not like Trump. Very progressive I know, podcast. right? We are, we are not, we are not, um, <laughs> Trying to be bipartisan here. It is what it is, y'all. That's that's how we go down. So <laughs> hopefully that happens. But um, you know, moving on from from politics at this point, um, I do want to say that this has been a really exciting time for us to come back on the mics with you all. Um, we're this is a brief er season, I think, because we didn't get back in until September, and we're gonna have a few more episodes and then wrap out for the year. But I think what's really exciting is Yarel and I are like feeling a momentum for our voices and for the stories of the people in our community that we've always felt, but that like, especially as we continue to live in this world where we recognize that we're not the ones who get to call the shots, that we want to continue to like really make something that's our own and where we get to decide the rules. At least in this space, Yarel and I get to decide the rules. Um, and we can redefine those rules, but we get to invite amazing people onto the podcast and we get to connect with y'all who are incredible listeners and just super loyal. And we appreciate that so much. So I, I say all that to say that I'm just so excited for what's to come. And I definitely want to make sure that we all feel that even if God forbid Trump wins again, there are we have to be setting hopes and goals and dreams and expectations mm-hmm. for ourselves for yep. the future because it's if it's all doom and gloom and if everything is destroyed based on one person, 
we have literally given up all of our power and we cannot yeah. have that happen. Yeah, we cannot do that. Absolutely. That's so important to us. And everything that's going on and everything that's happening just with the surge in, you know, coronavirus cases as well, like just the uncertainty. Um, we have so much power. There's power in our stories. There's power in our voices. And yeah, whatever happens, we need to make sure that we continue to move forward and that we continue to fight for things that we care about and to create stuff that we care about, like this podcast that is for listeners and, you know, people like ourselves that also want to hear and want to be part of these conversations uh, of issues that we care about, of, of people that we want to know more of. So, you know, again, that's so important. We hope that you also continue to be hopeful and mindful of the things that you also do and the things that you consume right now and that you continue to fight in whatever capacity it is that you can um, to be, you know, representative of also of our communities and the people that we need uh, to help out. So yeah, a thousand yeah. percent. And, and, and we've and got so much going on too for the beginning of the year for a relaunch. And uh, we're, it's, we, we will be dropping more details in regards to that as the weeks go by. For sure, for sure. Um, and speaking about owning your power, I think that's a really great segue into our guest today because she has written a book about a powerful woman and she is a powerful woman herself. And I'm so excited for y'all to hear this conversation. Yarel, you want to let us know who we have on the pod today? Yes. Today we have Ariana Davis. She is the digital director of O, oh, the Oprah Magazine, and she oversees all of OprahMag.com's editorial, social, and video content and strategy. She is also the author of the book, What Would Frida Do? A Guide to Living Boldly, inspired by the life of artist and icon Frida Kahlo. And among all the other things, she also has a fabulous Instagram and social where she shares all of her fabulous uh, adventures. So yeah, Ariana Davis. Ariana, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. This is so exciting. Oh my gosh, are you kidding me? Thank you for having me. This is so, I've been so excited about this. Yes. We're so happy to have you too. We've been huge fans of yours of just like everything that you're doing on social. So thank you so much for just making the space um, to check in with us because there's so much going on and so much that you're doing. But what's your current situation right now? Are you working from home? Are you uh, in New York? Yes, so I'm working from home. I've been in my studio apartment in New York by myself since March 2020, girls. Like literally just here. <laughs> wow. Home. It's been, it's so funny because I remember when we first heard that we were going to be working from home, it was like, we'll probably be back in a few weeks. And then I was like, all right, at least by June. And then I was like, at least by September. And now it's just like, I think this is probably indefinitely, I think until there's either definitely a vaccine or something more stable but I think this is kind of the new normal so I'm trying to like wrap my head around the fact that I probably like this is just like the new office just me and my apartment yeah I feel that I know Yadel is like in the news room every day pretty much I am also just at home and I'm just like okay so I guess this is it I'm like making my office more like cozy <laughs> I'm buying random stuff all the time my fiance is like you don't need that I'm like yes I do look at how cute this humidifier is it's so tiny <laughs> it goes great on my desk so Amazon has unfortunately been getting all of my coins as I find the randomest <laughs> stuff Oh man, I've been buying so much stuff at like 2 a.m. randomly, like on Instagram, like I get an Instagram ad for this like cute little t-shirt that says like, 
chula or whatever and I'm like oh man I need this like it's like the most random stuff that I'm just buying because I'm like oh, well I mean what else am I so but yeah I think I didn't I never really realized how much of a like I, I love to be at home and I love my alone time so I was surprised how much I realized that like I miss my coworkers, I miss interacting with people mm-hmm. like I like alone time but not this much alone time so but you know it is what it is and I'm like I, like thank god I at least have a roof over my head and a job so I'm grateful for for all of that because yeah. things could be things could be worse given the times that we're in for yeah, sure. that's so true. I, I feel like I'm the opposite because I I'm in the studio and I there's people around me sometimes. And I'm like, stay away, everybody, stay <laughs> away. six feet apart, please. But it's like only a few of us in the studio, so I I can only imagine how it is for you, ladies, working from home. Um, so yeah, Diana, we're just really happy everything that's going on with you and everything you're doing. Um, we would love for you to share a little bit about your journey first, uh, where you grew up, uh, your story and how you ended up at OprahMaggie.com. Okay. It's a long story, but I will give the short. We got time. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so I am from Baltimore. I'm from right outside of Baltimore, Maryland. That's where I grew up. And, um, my, so I grew up, I'm biracial. My dad is black and my mom is Puerto Rican. So I grew up as like a little biracial baby in the suburbs of Maryland, went to school with like mostly white kids. And so had the whole like identity issues of like always trying to find, you know, who I was and where I fit in. I definitely, it's funny, I'm reading Mariah Carey's book right now. So, and she talks a lot about this in the book. So this is just like so much on my mind right now because I appreciated reading the perspective of someone else who grew up similarly to the way that I did and that she's like she under she talks a lot about how when you come from two different cultures you always have the feeling of like never feeling like enough or never feeling like you quite fit in so um you know that was something that I, I think was always prevalent for me growing up in Maryland and um yeah I but I I think for me my escape always and the one place that I always felt like you know none of the other problems mattered was books I was always a reader I always loved to read from a from a young age and I think because I was such a reader writing also kind of came naturally for me um so I think since I was like maybe eight I always was like I just knew I wanted to be a writer I I, like I remember I wrote a book for my mom a little like chapter book that I wrote and I gave to her and I remember teachers at school commenting that you know I was I was a good writer. And so just because luckily I was affirmed at that young age and was told that this was something I was talented in, I always knew that that was something that I wanted to pursue. So when I, when it came time to go to college, I went to Penn state in Pennsylvania and I studied journalism Uh, at the time, you know, it, it still was, my parents were like, are you sure you want to go in journalism? Like journalists don't make money. This is not like the most stable career path to get into, but to me, you know, I wanted to be a writer and I didn't think you could make a career out of like writing books. So, you know, I thought journalism seemed cool and it could, is another way to kind of channel that love of writing. So I studied journalism at Penn State and, um, you know, I always loved magazines. That was always kind of a dream, but it was just never something that seemed like it was actually attainable because it was something that like a lot of the girls that I went to school with it was like you have to come from money you have to like be able to like move to New York and your parents would pay for the extra credits for you to do an internship and like for you to have New York apartment and when I was in college I was working during the summer so it was like that sounds nice but I I didn't think there was any way to just break into this very like glamorous world of magazines Mm. um 
But when I was a senior in college, I was on a scholarship at Penn State and there was a woman who spoke at the dinner. Her, her name was Jane Jameson. She was the publisher of Seventeen magazine. And she spoke at the dinner. And I just remember like every single word she said, I was like, just like, oh my God, this woman is amazing. And she's so glamorous and she's a magazine. So I stopped her. I followed her to the bathroom afterwards. And I was just like, <laughs> hey, you know, I would love to like, just get your business card. Like it's my dream to be in magazines. So long story short, when I graduated, um, I did move to New York. I was interning at the New York Daily News, was like on the, the newspaper track. Um, but I did reach out to her and she invited me to the Hearst building to have lunch. And I was literally like, I was like, the, I was like Andy in the Double Wars pod. I just like, so <laughs> my element. like, this is like so amazing. Um, but she, just because I was another Penn Stater, she was also an alum. She really like looked out for me. She put in a good word for me. There was an in a postgraduate internship at Oprah Magazine. She put in a good word and I ended up interning at O and that was like the, kind of the first step that launched eventually me getting a job assisting Gail King and then becoming a writer there. And that was really the beginning of the beginning of it all. Wow. Wow. That is awesome. I mean, there's a couple so of takeaways that I, I'm getting from this is like the fact that you, one of the things that you said that you were affirmed at a young age, which is like so important, right? And like the mm -hmm. idea that there was someone along that journey who was like, you're great at this and you have the ability to sort of be anything that you want to be. Mm -hmm. And the idea that there was like another woman who like really helped like usher you in and support mm -hmm. you. Um, because I think that's something that we've talked about many times on the show and it can be really, really hard to come by. And so that the journey may be a lot more complicated or it may take a lot longer because there's either like people who aren't willing to assist, um, there's some cattiness or whatever it may be and just like a lack of confidence in ourselves. So I just love that like along the way, it was like things were just like leading you towards your path and that's really, really dope. And you know, I've followed a lot of the work that you've done. I know you were at Refinery29 also and now you're digital director at Oprah Mag and I mean, we're going to get to the book, but we've all got to know what was it like assisting for Gail? What's yes. Oprah like? What does she smell like? You know, <laughs> um, Gail, first of all, I could not have asked for a better person to assist. Like I often, I get chills when I think about it because Gail is just like, I've never met a more positive, hardworking person in my entire life. Like Gail, people don't really realize because Gail is the editor at large at Oprah Magazine. And she also obviously now is co-anchor at CBS This Morning. And Gail King gets up at 3.30 in the morning every day to go anchor the news on CBS in the mornings. She's at her first job from, you know, 4 in the morning until like 10, 10.30 in the morning. Then she comes into the magazine, works a full day at the magazine. Obviously, this is all pre-pandemic, but... You know, she would work a full day at the magazine and then would go to like events at nighttime. She would go to this philanthropy event. She would do that. She would do that. And she just, she, she, she really like did it all. And she always had such a great attitude about it. She was, um, you know, I learned so much. And obviously when you assist anybody, I mean, there's definitely where the devil wears Prada moments where I was like all over the place doing a million things, carrying the bags, like whatever. But she was no Miranda Priestley in that she was always like the kindest, nicest person. And she really taught me. She taught me a what it is to have a really hard work ethic and then b also how to just treat people well and she was she's one of those people who always she knows the name of like the person at the front desk of the building to the person who's cleaning the bathroom to the celebrities that she's interviewing like she is like that mm -hmm. that person and so that taught me a lot about um just being a good person no matter who you are and so 
um, assisting her taught me so much. I was her assistant for about four years before I became an editor. And I feel like that was like my just life training in, in those four years of just, I feel like now anytime, like I'm always very fast. I'm like so good with like just staying organized and people are like, wow, that's so, and I'm like, listen, I assisted <laughs> for a long time. Like I, was, I had to, I had to be on my P's and Q's. Um, and then working for Oprah, I mean, listen, Oprah is who she is on TV. I think that's my favorite part about her is I feel like I've been blessed. I've gotten to meet a lot of people that are celebrities or people that I've seen on TV or, you know, in the, in the public eye. And unfortunately, when I've met them, they're different than you expect them to me. But Oprah mm. is, is exactly who she is. And I think her brand of like being authentic, being your best self, she is that 100%. And she is just, she's just, I mean, obviously she's such an icon and she's so important to women like us, women of color, journalists um but she just she, you, you just feel you definitely feel that that wisdom and that power that she just exhibits both on tv but also in person when you're around her that's and amazing. she smells great love- she also smells great okay, <laughs> okay thank you thank you let's get down to the real <laughs> yeah <laughs> i love that thanks for sharing that so that's awesome you've managed to grow everything the digital aspect of the magazine in the last few years what's been the biggest lesson for you oh good question um i think the biggest lesson i think for me and i think that this kind of also it's just like a life lesson for myself individually I just had this aha moment actually as I was as I'm thinking about my answer but I think for me I think knowing knowing the brands and like understanding like who our reader is and what we're trying to do so like for Oprah magazine I I when I started as digital director in my mind I created this like this imaginary reader I call her Janet so I thought of Janet as like an actual person so I'm like Janet is probably like 40 she's not coming to us for parenting advice she's coming to us for advice on living her best life she wants stories that are gonna make her feel good she wants things that are positive she wants like I was thinking about her as an actual person and someone that we were talking to every day because I feel like obviously with the internet and you know we launched in 2018 and at the time you know there's so many women's lifestyle websites you know so it's like what's gonna set us apart how do we make our content different? And it's a very overwhelming task. So it helped me to think about who we were as a brand and also thinking about the reader herself and like how we wanted to like best serve her. And I think that that is something that I also has kind of carried on to my own life where I think about my own self and just, you know, who do I want to be? What kind of like message do I want to be putting out there? And even just thinking about that with writing my book and things like that, I think, it can be overwhelming, especially working in media, I think, when there's there's just like this constant news cycle and there's so much happening. And it's like, we could very easily, for instance, with this election cycle, get very caught up in covering like so many different things that are happening. Mm-hmm. But we also try to keep in mind our audience. And it's like, at the end of the day, our audience is probably going to the New York Times or CNN for like the heartbreaking news. She's not coming to Oprah Magazine for that. She's coming to us for an escape. Or if she mm-hmm. if she is interested in election coverage, it, she probably is looking at it from more of like a getting to know like who is Kamala Harris and who is her husband and what's her story. Like they want more of that versus like digging super into like the latest snarky thing that Trump said, which ugh, don't even want to talk about him today. Mm-hmm. But, you know, but I'm saying I just, I think that, um, really understanding the brands and then like as the digital director, like how we translate that on social media and all of our platforms. I think that that just understanding of like who we are has taught me to also just kind of apply that even to my own self, my own life. Mm. That's dope. 
I really love that. You know, as you're speaking now and you, you have this Janet, I actually think back to my mom has gotten the physical Oprah magazine for like over a decade, at least. Wait, I'm, I'm trying to figure out my age. Yes. Maybe <laughs> even 15 years at this Probably. point. Yeah. And I'm like, and I remember I used to pour through those magazines more than a 17 or like whatever little ones we had at the time, because I was always like, you know what? Um, this is like when I'm in college, right? I'm like, I want to know what the women who feel confident in themselves, what the women who like have been through, been around the block a couple of times, I want to know what they're saying a lot more than I want to know what like the girls who are so uncertain about themselves and their lives are saying. So I would just like read it. It'd be like how to live your best life. And it was like some 45 year old woman in like, I don't know, Tennessee, who wrote it? And I'm like, yes, girl, tell me. <laughs> like, I love that. It's like, I'm now, I'm now getting closer to Janet than I am to like, but I'm like, it's all good because I found that like, it was always something that was like super tangible and super mm. helpful that was like in there. Um, and especially I think as a generation, we become more conscious of self-care and self-love and we're actually speaking about it. And so it no longer feels like there's the, the lines. Like I understand in media, we always have to like talk about who's our demo and who are we speaking to. But I know that there's a lot of like blurred lines in that space as well, which is also really, really fun. Um, and I want to, you know, just talk about this book, What Would Frida Do? Um, so yes, I know your baby about to come out into the world. I mean, the, they, they can't see me on this podcast, but I'm holding her up right now. Cause like it's, I, so it's just, it's very, it hasn't really felt real. I think until the past week when I actually finally got like the first copies and I was like, Oh, I wrote a book and it's here. <laughs> <laughs> it's beautiful. I really like that cover. It is. It is. Yes. Thank no you. one knows what we're talking about, but that's fine. I like to be you know, secretive <laughs> and mysterious. Tell us a little bit about like, you know, when you got this idea, when you started working on it. So it's funny because the, this process actually kind of happened a little bit backwards than the typical process in that Seal Press, which is the publisher under Hachette, uh, the imprint under Hachette books, reached out to me because they had actually been following my work and they had heard through the grapevine. This is how you know you're like really a fan of something. They had heard through the grapevine that I was a Frida fan, which is like, that's how you know it's real. <laughs> like word, word on the street is that this girl is obsessed with Frida Kahlo. But they, um, they, you know, had been talking about how they thought that just timing wise, it could be interesting to have something about Frida for like the new generation. And they were wondering if I had any ideas or any thoughts. And so we kind of started having a conversation and immediately I like had a million different ideas. And however, this was right around, this was actually, um, so we launched openmag.com in fall 2018. So I think they first approached me maybe like six months after we had launched and I was still, it was so crazy time where I was like working a lot of hours. We had just launched this new media site and I was still new to being a boss and having a team of 10 people and my, my life was just crazy. And so it sounded great, but I was like writing a book, like, yeah, it's the dream, but I don't think I can do that right now. But um, the more and more I thought about, I just couldn't let this idea go. And just the idea of like working on something about Frida was just such a dream. So I was like, I'm going to make it work. Like, I'm going to figure it out somehow, some way I'm going to figure this out. So I did it. Obviously the book's coming out. Um, but I, I think it took me about nine months total with like research and writing the book and everything between like having my day job and then writing in my free time. Um, and the idea that I came up with of what we're free to do, you know, I think that Frida, obviously, especially for Latinas is like an icon and someone that like, we know, we know well, but 
I think especially she's taken on kind of a new life with social media. And I think there's, if you go on Pinterest and Instagram, there's so many photos of Frida. There's so many quotes, but I think the younger generation too might not necessarily know her backstory. They don't know so much of like her relationship with Diego or the, you know, the story behind some, so many of those famous paintings or, um, you know, that famous quote that you're always posting all the time. What's the story behind it? So I thought that it would be, it could be a biography, but I also wanted it to be more than that, more of like a guide and an inspiration on how to live your life boldly. Frida lived her life so boldly, way ahead of her time. This was a Mexicana who grew up in the 1930s. I mean, she was like in her 20s in, her, in the 1930s. And that was when she was doing things like painting about her miscarriages and like making these bold statements about um you know about her marriage and newspaper interviews and like she was just like so far ahead of her time she was unapologetically queer all of these things way before as a society women in general were encouraged to be any of those things so I thought it would be really interesting to not just look at her life but also the lessons we can learn from someone who lived her life so boldly so far ahead of her time that's so awesome. And it's so true. You know, I, lately, I, with everything and social media just being more accessible, I see it with uh, my niece the other day was asking me to, and not to say with, with Frida, but about Selena. So all these are kind of like icons, right? That as generations go by, like their input in society, their input on culture. Um, so then the book itself, you said it's not a biography. It's not. Um, what, what, was, what was that like for you? Like coming, coming around being, having this opportunity, right? To write a book and then deciding it was going to be about Frida and then putting together all your thoughts uh, as to what it was going to really show and be about. Yeah, it was, I mean, I'm not going to lie. It was overwhelming because there's been so many books written about Frida. There's been, there's obviously a huge, there was an Oscar winning movie starring Salma Hayek. Like her story has been told. And so that's why for me, I I like to call it part biography, part self-help and that I do, I did of course want to tell her story and make sure that I went through her story from day one until the end for anyone who isn't familiar, for anyone in the new generation. Um, but I did also want to look at the lessons that we can learn. And so it was definitely a lot of research. And the most, I think my favorite part of the whole process of it all was I had started writing. I had you know, done a lot of research, but there was a point where I started writing it. And I just thought, um, you know, especially, you know, I'm Puerto Rican and I'm Latina, but I'm not Mexican. And so I wanted to make sure that I was really like, making sure that I was doing my due diligence and researching as much as possible and making sure that I really had an understanding of like her life and her culture and where she came from. So I was like, I'm going to Mexico City. So I went to Mexico City for a week and I stayed in, um, I stayed in like a little Airbnb around the corner from her house, La Casa Azul, where she grew up. And I just spent like so much time there at the, her house where she grew up, uh, La Casa Azul or the Blue House is now a museum where it's literally set up like exactly how it was when she mm-hmm. lived there. There's a few other museums in Mexico City. There's um, I also went to different libraries to find some like rare, more rare books that were harder for me to find in the States and just trying to make sure I did as much research as possible. And then I would literally just like walk around her neighborhood where she grew up and just try to like see the world through Frida's eyes. And, and then at nighttime, I would just write for hours and hours. And it was like the best thing I think I could have done creatively, but also just to make sure that I really, I felt like I couldn't write a book about like what Frida would do or trying to kind of channel my inner freedomness without actually like seeing the world through her eyes and where she was from. So I think for me, that was the most important, important part of writing the book. Was that an intimidating request when they were like, we want you to write a book about Frida and you're like, 
okay. <laughs> was that just something that you had to like sit with or was it immediately like absolutely yes? No, I definitely, I mean, listen, I had imposter syndrome. I had all the things because like I said, you know, there uh, in 1983, the, 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 the Summer Hayek movie was based on a really famous biography that was written in 1983 by Hayden Herrera. And that's kind of known like amongst, like it's like a 500 page, really thick, serious Frida biography. So I was like, that's kind of like known as like the upheld, like the, that's the, the big biography that most people who are real Frida fans or real art people um, they look to. So I was like, I, that's, I'm not like, that's not the kind of book that I would write. So, but for me, I did think it would be cool to kind of look at it from a more contemporary perspective, a more like, and kind of setting it more in today's times and just thinking about like, okay, you wear the t-shirts with this, this icon's face on it, or you post her quotes or, you know, you, all these things that we see on social media, but like, let's remember who she was and let's take a look at like the lessons that we can learn from just how cool and badass she was like way, way, way ahead of her time. Yeah, that's what, what I like book for sure, that yeah. it felt super tangible and like you just really like grounded Frida, like someone who like, I think we, there was like an abstractness to her. You brought her mm -hmm, like into mm -hmm. our lives and made that very relevant. Well, thank you for saying that. It's so weird because I feel like I'm just now starting to hear from like real people in the world outside of like my editor, like what they think about it. So I'm like, I hope people like it. And I definitely, listen, I definitely took risks. I mean, there's like, I write in the book about like how I felt like Frida, like I was going crazy at one point. I felt like, I felt like Frida was like watching me over my shoulder. And like, I write about that in the book. <laughs> and I'm like, some people are probably going to be like, this girl has lost it. But I'm like, you know what? I wanted to write it from my perspective and also just from the perspective of a real person who has always loved her and admired her because I think anyone a lot of people who read this book will be coming from that same perspective too. What, what were you most impressed by or what impressed you what like changed for you or what did you learn um, of her life during that process of research? I think I mean there was a lot of things I think that one thing that really came into perspective for me was just how she like there's this article I remember um, that I, I think I, I mentioned in one chapter where the headline was like wife of the master painter Diego Rivera dabbles in art mm. and it's basically about how I like, that it's like it's like this little it was like an article in like the 1930s and um, about how like Diego Rivera's like little wife was just like had this little hobby of painting and it was just yeah, like, yeah, yeah. To, to think about that and then to see like obviously how she went on to become and I mean, depending who you talk to, but I think that the average person probably knows Frida now more than they do Diego Rivera. Mm -hmm. And it's just, um, you know, if you read interviews, like there's one interview where she was like 23. She had really just started painting. She was young and he was like the big star. And she did this interview where she was, she said something along the lines of like, you know, Diego might be like the star and he does okay for a little boy, but I'm the one who's the great painter. And like, just the fact that mm. she said that at like being so young and that she like had the self-confidence and the swagger to be like, that's nice that my <laughs> husband is like, you know, Diego, but like, I'm the great painter. Like she just yeah. was so, she, so I just think there was just like little tidbits like that, that are in the book and that I learned as I was researching her which just like further kind of inspired me and reminded me of like how she was just so she was really she just really and she listen she also had she also had her flaws and she also had insecurities and that's something that I also talk about in the book but she always managed even if she was feeling insecure to still channel her inner like confidence and just be like I'm the greatest, like, I don't really care what anybody says. And so I think that that was one of the, the big lessons I learned from writing this too, is like, even when I was feeling imposter syndrome about writing this book, 
once I would like talk myself up and I was like, no, no, like you're a writer, like you are a writer, like you got this, like Frida would have done. I think um, that was, that's just something that I think I learned a lot from, from studying her and from reading a lot about her, from her, her letters and her diaries and interviews. What I, what I think is so awesome is like, as you're speaking of that, I'm remembering when you were talking about like, Frida was talking to me or Frida's looking over my shoulder or like the drag of her cigarette and I, you smell it in the room. Um, and so I'm imagining like these conversations that are happening as like you are facing like the imposter syndrome like you're talking about and like sort of like like channeling her energy to like help you like actually finish that moment so it's very much like she almost like helped you finish the book right like she like just like looking back to her and and so it's like direct reflection of the work that you were doing and writing about yeah I think like actually making her a person and like feeling like the essence of Frida in a way helped me it did help me to push me over the finish line and also make me feel like I had, it, it made it feel like more of a real experience. I think that if I had just focused on it as a biography, it almost felt like less personal, but thinking about her as like a real person, like this was a woman who lived and whose legacy has lived on far beyond after her years. And, you know, it made me think a lot about just like what we can leave on this earth while we're here. And just that, I don't know if Frida knew when she left these paintings and all of these other things behind the impact that she would have, but I think that the fact that she did all of those things made me think about what I want to leave behind and how this book is like a little piece of like that, that I hopefully, even if it just inspires one person, I hope that it will, it will, it will achieve that. So lots of topics in the book, um, confidence, pain, love, sex, heartbreak. Which one was your favorite to write about? Ooh, I like this question. I think, I, I mean, I think the romantic in me loved the love chapter just because it was like, you know, her, her and Diego's relationship is not something we should aspire to first and foremost. It was very tumultuous, like very romantic. Problematic, yeah. Problematic, oh, yes. toxic, <laughs> intense, all the, all the negative words. Like Diego was definitely like an, an old school fuck boy, I think. Like he just was all over the place. But I do think that one thing, one of the, less, one of the lessons I talk about in, the ch- in that chapter is like, Frida just did not care what anybody thought. Like, that was, like, her man. She loved Diego. She loved him fiercely, passionately. Like, they had so many ups and downs. And when they got married, her parents called him the elephant to her dove. To her dove. Everyone was like, he was ugly. He was fat. Mm-hmm. People didn't really understand their, their marriage. But um, just learning so much about and really understanding. Because if you do look at, at photos of Diego and you hear all the things that people said about him, it was like, dang, girl, like, why? Yeah. Why? Really, sure. like, but you know I think like reading like studying her paintings reading her journal entries and her letters to friends about him like so many of the things in her own words about their relationship that was to me there was just so much there to unpack in that chapter so mm-hmm. um that was a really that was a really fun chapter to write and um I also wrote the creativity chapter too was awesome just because you know thinking about myself as a writer and just how you know I think that I'm something, something I guess I realized I had in common with Frida is like anytime she was going through something or she was dealing with something, like she would channel that into creativity or, or into mm-hmm. art. And I think that that's something that I try to do with my writing or with work is like, if I'm dealing with something like, instead of dwelling on it, I try to like channel that into something else. And so the creativity chapter was really cool because it, that was where I really explore how she went from like teenage Frida who had no aspirations of being an artist to like this horrible accident happened to her and that changed her life. And she ended up turning all of that pain, both physical and emotional, into 
into this art that we now know her for. Yes, there's something for everyone in the book um, because it really is like whether or not you feel like you're a creative or whether or not you, we've all been through love. We've all dealt with our like own trauma. And I love the fact that you um, described it as like self-help meets biography because I feel like there's so few self-help for that are like literally around Latinas, so few Latinas who have written self-help books. Um, and so this is such a major, major category in like the publishing world. And so it absolutely has that level uh, or it, rather it, it's something that I think that so many people will be able to find that's new, that's refreshing because we haven't been able to have as much as that as others. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's a really good point. I actually recently, um, there's this book that just recently came out called I Am Diosa by Christine Gutierrez. Yeah. yeah. And she, she is like, I have been having my, like, I'm trying to like do this new thing where I start off my day on a positive note. So I'll have a little tea and I try to read a book that's going to like be a little inspiring. So I've been reading her book. Um, but I, that's something that I, her book is all, it's really targeted towards Latinas specifically, but also, you know, women and I really was thinking about that as I was reading her book is there's not that many self-help books out there that are specifically for us and how we can take care of our mental health and our spirit and all of those things. So I think with, with Frida, you know, originally I wasn't thinking it was going to be self-help necessarily, but I think that it was to me almost impossible to not look at like her life and think about like, okay, now what can we take about, what can we take from this? And I was hoping, like you said, I'm really glad that you said you feel there's something for everything. Cause that was one of my goals is even if, you're not like a super mega Frida fan, but maybe you just want to like read something that's going to inspire you or like that's going to make you feel a little bit better about yourself. Hopefully you'll find a little something in there. That's so awesome. I, you you said something about Frida that uh, I think is really important that for you, Frida as a woman is a badass symbol of strength and courage uh, that gave, gave us that example that no matter what obstacles life throws our way, we all have the power to be the authors of our own stories. What do, what would you like your story to be? Not just from the book, but from everything that you're doing. Oh, um, I think I, you know, I think that one thing that I want to do is I, th I feel a responsibility and I feel that I want, what I, one thing that I, it's really important to me is to open the door for other black and brown women. I think that, you know, we, I, I, I realize in the, the more senior and higher up in my career I've gotten and the more opportunities I've gotten, how few of us there are in spaces that I'm in. I'm in meetings and environments where it's literally like, I'm the only black woman, I'm the only Latina woman, I'm the only brown person, period. Like it, you know, I think that I, and there's so much that goes into that. It, it goes, you know, it has to do with um, a lack of self-confidence in our communities. It has to do with lack of access. It has to do with a lack of good hiring by what, you know, there's so many things. And so I, I, one of, I think I want my story to be that through my words, because primarily I'm a writer, you know, I'm also an editor and digital director, all these things, but throughout whatever words I put out into the world, I hope that they will be stories that will inspire young women to like go after their dreams and actually go after what, what they want and to not let anything stop them to not let the fact of like oh i don't think that that career path is for me or i don't think i'm good enough for this i hope that anything that i create and that i put out there will inspire women to believe in their best selves and and hopefully just by me being here and, and the success i've been blessed to have hopefully that's opening the door for more women like me i totally think it is yes, i really do is. and I, I feel it i felt it when you were writing it yeah. felt like a mission you know it's like it wasn't just 
for you, like while you were reflecting on all of these moments and probably, you know, learning more about her, it definitely felt like um, you're having these aha moments and bringing them out to the world. So I'm super excited for you and I'm super excited for this book to come out. And before, you know, we just always like to know what do you do for self-care? You have a lot of stuff going on. So what does that look like for you? Self-care, I am a couple of things. Right now it's fall. So like my thing right now, I'm an, I'm a, I'm an abuela. I knit, I'm a knitter. So I got into yes. knitting. Cool. When I, when I was actually Gail's assistant, I remember I interviewed um, at the time, John Stewart's assistant at the Daily Show it was like for a story for the magazine. And it was about how she had started this like Etsy line because she was so stressed as an assistant. And like at the end of a long day, she would start knitting to just like de-stress and unwind. And I remember interviewing her and being like, that's so cool, but like I would never. And then one day I was walking down 57th Street and I walked by this like arts and crafts store. And I was like, oh, I was like, maybe I'll give it a try. And so I just like taught myself from YouTube tutorials and that became kind of like my little side hobby. So now it's usually like during around the fall when it's like getting cold and like cozy outside. That's when I bring out my little knitting needles and I'll watch the show. I'm really into right now. I'm into Lovecraft Country. Um, So I've been watching that and then just like Oh, I just started it. It's a lot. It's intense. Yeah, it's like, it's very intense, but in a good way. Like at first it was shows where you're like, I don't know how I feel about this. And then by the end of the episode, you're like, I think I really want to watch the next episode. And then you just like get really into it. So yeah, so I'm I'm definitely like, I like to unwind with like a nice, uh, like a binge session just to just like tune out everything else happening in the world. And then I bring out my little knitting needles and you know, that's, that's, that's my thing other than I'm also a big reader. I love to read. I still, that's kind of my thing every night before bed. I try to like turn my phone off and just um, read, even if it's just for like 10 or 15 minutes. Are you reading anything special right now? I am, um, so I'm reading Mariah Carey's memoir, The Emancipation, or no, sorry, I was supposed to say The Emancipation of Mimi, that's her album. <laughs> that's her album. <laughs> the, meaning, the meaning of Mariah is the name of the book, and it's really, it's, um, it's really good, and then I'm also reading Transcendent Kingdom. Um, my sister and I actually started, a, we started like a little mini book club with some of our friends. It's, we're, we're calling it a book club for, for brown girls. Oh, um, nice. So we started, so we're reading Transcendent Kingdom and I've been into that lately. So, so yeah, those are my two, my two reads at the moment. Oh, I love it. Very cool. Let us know when is the book coming out? So what would Frida do is available October 20th at your favorite bookseller, wherever you get books, Amazon, Barnes and Noble. If you want to support your local independent bookstore, which I highly recommend because they need our support right now, you can go on bookshop.org. Yeah, I can't wait to see like people posting or just sending me pictures or hearing what people think I'm super excited and I just found out it's going to be translated into Spanish next year I know so sometime I think in 2021 fingers crossed hopefully um it'll be in Espanol so I'm excited about that Ah, that's That's so cool Ariana so cool congratulations on thank you on the book on everything you're doing and thank you for like just also putting it down for women everything you just said I feel like what is going to hit like so many nerves for a lot of our listeners and is maybe going to also uh push them to also write and share their stories so yeah thank you so much Thank you guys for having me and for this podcast, as I, I think I told you guys before we started recording, I'm a huge fan of the podcast and what you guys are doing is so important and having these kinds of spaces and escapes, even just for like 45 minutes in a podcast, you know, to escape from the world right now is so needed. So thank you for everything that you're doing too.
Yadi, I just have to say, how awesome is it that within our first few episodes of the season, we've already interviewed two women of color authors. I love it. Latina authors. That's right. And like, just also, you know, when it comes to them sharing their stories in, in a very interesting way to empower our already storytelling, like someone like Frida Kahlo, like connecting, you know, her life, her experiences with someone that we know that we follow in, in terms of like all these things that she set for um, society and um, inspiration that she's given us throughout the years, even after her death. Uh, Frida Kahlo. So that is, I mean, I'm just so happy. We talk about books just so much and we talk about writing books. So hopefully this is also, you know, like an open space for anyone listening to like share your story, whether it's you want to publish it, whether it's a blog, whether it's on social, like you can, if, if, if they're telling us that this is the way that they did it and it's, it's also a means of, of sharing your space, then we can all make sure that we take advantage of these public spaces for us to be sharing our stories. For sure. And, you know, I think it's, it goes back to this idea that we are constantly underrepresented in rooms. And I know Ariana mm. mentions it as well. And the fact that we can take up space in the publishing industry and remind these people that like, not only are our stories valuable and worth telling, but that people in our community and people outside of our community want to hear them. Um, and I just, you know, I think it was this book, What Would Frida Do, is such an imaginative way of bringing Frida's story to life and yes. making it so tangible and so relevant to our everyday um, and and it and just really exploring the many facets of her because she was such a mm-hmm. multifaceted, dynamic woman. And I love the fact that Ariana really ventured into into this world and brought her there with us. So I think there's just so much for us to take away. And it's a constant reminder that we also have to show up for these authors who are really helping to, and you know, it's weird saying the word pave the way, right? Because it sounds like it should have happened a long time ago. But we, these are constant battles. Like we're nowhere near where we want to be. We're nowhere like receiving the recognition and the funding and the opportunities as other people out there in the industry. So I think it is right. like very much like, yeah, they are paving that way. And, and we've got to continue to show up for them. Um, and I'm just super excited about what she's done. And I hope that you guys will check out the book because it's totally worth it. I recently saw, I think it was Jessica Salgado, um, talk about like, hey, if, if you, if your friend or someone you know, someone you know, uh, published a book, like supported, here are many ways of supporting it. Order a book online, buy a copy, don't expect to get it for free, which I thought was really interesting because we, sometimes we have a, a friend who launched a business and it's like, oh yeah, we're going to, we're going to get something free. No, it matters the most if we're going to go out there and, and, and order it before, you know, like pre-order it. If we leave reviews, if we call our local bookstore and we request, uh, you know, a copy of it, if we share it on social. So all these ways of showing up for other women, for other women of color who are also doing and these things and opening up the space for us to continue to create and expand. For sure. So, um, Ariana, thank you so much for sharing your gift and your time with us on this episode it was such a joy talking to you. And you can follow Ariana on social. You can also, should also make sure you check out OprahMag.com. And of course, you can follow us at Wait Holds Up Pod and leave us a review on iTunes. But before all that, 
figure out your voting plan. Yes. Make a voting plan. Make sure you get all your aunts and uncles, cousins uh, to vote as well. And uh, yeah, make sure to share with us too what you're into right now. Uh, let us know what you're up to on all our social. Once again, Wait Hold Up Pod on Instagram and on all the social media platforms or send us an email as well. Yes, you can catch us at waitholduppodcast at gmail.com. And hopefully, hopefully next time we're here, we will have a new president coming into office. So all the good vibes, all and yes. beyond good vibes, all the voting that we can possibly bring, we're going to get our asses to the polls. Absolutely. Until next time, y'all. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Hold